Ephesians 5, we'll begin in verse 15. And we'll read through chapter 6, verse 9. This is in connection with the Lord's Day. That is our topic this afternoon. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So far, the word of God. As we were into the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of the Christian faith, and we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 39, that's on page 555 of your books of praise. There the question is, what does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline, and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand.
so far the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, that word, authority, what emotions come to mind when you hear that word, authority? In our day and age, authority gets a pretty bad rap. Uh, One immediate reaction against that word is, is to push back. There shall be no authority over me. What about my personal freedom? Or, as Bon Jovi said, It's my life. Uh, Who gives anyone, what gives anyone the right to tell me how to live my life? We're a freedom-loving culture. And probably then if we had to, let's say, choose a favorite out of the Ten Commandments, the one about honoring authority, honoring our father and mother, probably might not be our favorite. Authority just has this negative overtone. And yet, consider this. We saw in the first commandment that God created us for loving relationship with Him. That's Lord's Day 3. God made us to know Him, to love Him, and to live with Him for His glory. God made us, in other words, for intimate, loving relationship. And here's what may be surprising to us then. Right from the very first moment that God after God created us and began to relate to human beings, it became immediately clear that the shape of that relationship is one of authority. It's just assumed right from the beginning. God creates man and woman, and then it says God blessed them, and God said to them, or you might say commanded them, be fruitful and multiply and so forth. So, God made us for intimate, loving relationship with Him, and God in His wisdom determined that the shape of that relationship is going to be one of authority and submission. And we might ask, why is that? We might well have designed the world very differently. Why did God decide that the the best way to relate to us human beings is not on equal terms but rather through a relationship of authority and submission. We we might think, you know, if the goal is is for God to create a a close and a loving relationship, is authority really the best channel for that kind of relationship? This is uh, what you'll find in, in the parenting books of our day. Authority stifles friendship. Authority stifles intimacy. It's a barrier to relationship. And yet God created us for relationship with Him, and He chose authority to be the shape of that relationship. And that should tell us that authority, no matter what our feelings might be about it, must be a good thing, even a beautiful thing, as part of God's perfect original creation design. Now there's at least two reasons that I see from Scripture why This authority is so good. Why it's beautiful. Why God chose to relate to us this way. The first reason is, it's through this relationship of authority and submission that God magnifies His wisdom. Uh, To magnify means to make something big and, and clear and easily visible. Take Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect 
reviving the soul? How do you discover that the law of the Lord is perfect? By following it, by submitting to it. The, the testimony of the Lord is, is sure, making wise the simple. When we obey the Lord, we discover there's, there's wisdom, there's goodness to be learned here. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In all these expressions, we, we see that as we obey, uh, we begin to see the wisdom of God behind His commandments. Now, uh, we know God's wisdom is, is infinite. God's wisdom is glorious. Whenever we uh, taste a glimpse of God's wisdom, uh, we, we sense it. We delight in it. Uh, the psalmist says in, in Psalm 139, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. There's something precious and delightful even about God's wisdom. And there's no better way to show and to magnify, to put that wisdom on display, than for God to say to us, trust me, do this, follow me, and you will see in time that this commandment is good. And as we, as we submit to that authority, uh, we discover how glorious God's wisdom is, and we will learn to praise Him and to love Him. It's a means to that intimate, delightful relationship that God desires of us. It becomes, in that relationship, it becomes a a pleasure and a joy to live with the infinitely good and wise God. So that's the first reason why God chose to relate to us in this way, to, to highlight His wisdom. The second reason is that it's in this kind of relationship that on our part, we can express our trust and our confidence in Him. So when Abraham obeyed God and went to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, it was not only an opportunity for him to discover God's wisdom in requiring a sacrifice and then providing that substitute, it was also an opportunity for Abraham to show his confidence in the provision of God. Or when the people marched around the city of Jericho under God's orders, their obedience to God was an expression of their confidence in Him. And so it is with us. We have these same opportunities to show God our confidence in Him through our submissive obedience to Him. So the Lord Jesus also says, If you love me, keep my commandments. John says in in 1 John 5, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. When we obey, we demonstrate that we trust that what the Lord teaches us is good. That He knows best. and, And this too then magnifies His wisdom and glory. And it's in that same relationship then that we have our opportunity to show Him that we do love Him, we do trust Him, and we are confident in Him. We do what He says because we desire to to receive the good that we know will come from His Word. So we can see that authority then, at, at least between us and God, is actually a good and a beautiful part of God's relationship with us. It's part of God's perfect creation design. It it defines the kind of relationship that He would have with us. 
And what we discover as we, as we continue to turn the pages of Scripture is that it's also the kind of relationship that God would have some of us have with one another, and especially parents with their children. It's really a travesty that modern parenting styles are, are based on, on friendship and, and on being buddies. Uh, there is something good about having a son who, or daughter who grows up, and then as adults you can, you can truly be godly Christian friends. But that's not the defining paradigm for your role as a parent. God created uh, children to need fathers and mothers who lead and guide them with authority. Uh, children come into, the sa- into this world with the same purpose as their parents, to know God, to love Him, to live with Him. And children come into this world a lot like Adam and Eve, having been introduced into this world, knowing nothing uh, yet about how to live in this world and having everything to learn. God places parents, gives parents the role to be God, as it were, to their children. They have the, the awesome, humbling, uh, inspiring duty of teaching their children that God, uh, that God wants them to know Him, to love Him, and to live with Him for His glory. Uh, if that's God's purpose in ruling over us, that is also our purpose as parents in ruling over our children, to lead them to know their God, to love Him, and to live with Him. That's why our form for baptism has it right at the beginning of the child's life that the parents make a promise to, to have their children instructed in the gospel to the utmost of their power. It's what Paul also taught us as we read a moment ago from Ephesians 6. Uh, fathers, and presumably this is true for mothers as well, though it is addressed specifically to fathers. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. What a noble and awesome calling for fathers as well as for mothers. How then are our parents to do this? Well, the most obvious answer is, of course, by telling their children about the Lord. This includes family devotions, uh, bedtime devotions, using also the teachable moments of life. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 talks about uh, teaching your children when you get up, when you rise down, as you go along the way. There's all these wonderful teaching moments for parents to take the, most, uh, to take the opportunity uh, to teach their children. Uh, Of course, this also extends to schooling. This is why Christian schooling is a requirement for uh, for Christian parents. Uh, The the secular school system will raise them in the fear of someone else and not the Lord. It's an integral part of a child's education. And the secular school system today, uh, by and large, also orients itself according to the workplace. It makes that the focus of of the, the instruction, preparing children for the workplace. But preparing our children for success in the workplace, whether, it's, whether we're doing that through a Christian school or, or in homeschool environment, that's not our primary task as parents. Our objective as parents is always to raise the child to know, to love, and to live with the Lord. So that's uh, the the most obvious way of fulfilling this task is by by telling verbal instruction, teaching our children to know and love the Lord. But it isn't only verbal 
instruction. Children will also learn what God is like, correctly or not, by observing their parents. Uh, Parents are, are God's image bearers to their children, God's earthly representatives. Uh, Children very often learn their deepest lessons about what God is like by observing their parents. And I would say especially by observing their fathers. That's why uh, I believe Ephesians 4 verse 6 is specifically addressed to fathers. God calls himself our father. And children will know what God is like, or rightly or wrongly, they will think they do by observing their fathers. If dad is absent, Children will believe that God is absent as well. If dad is permissive and and unconcerned with patterns of sin in the child's life, children will grow up to believe that God is permissive and unconcerned. If dad is cruel or abusive, children will take that as a lesson about the character of God. This is just how children think. And I say this, of course, knowing that all of us as fathers and mothers have failed in in many ways. We have all, uh, both dads and moms, had times where we've taught our children terrible theology by the way that we've related to them or, or in front of them. And the good news here for Christian parents is that we must also teach our children the gospel. They must see that At the end of the day, we're failures as image bearers of God. That we, just like them, are in need of forgiveness, of going to the cross. And and that we would model what that looks like for them. They must come to learn that, that dad and mom are not, in the end, God. They are sinful human beings full of of weaknesses and and failures with sin-stained hearts who must uh, find their place at the foot of the cross. And here too, children will learn from the example that their parents provide. If they never see dad or mom admit to their failures or or confess their sins or or come to them in repentance, uh, then they will believe that that apart from God's grace, uh, that dad and mom... uh, must be consistent with the character of God Himself. That sin doesn't need to be repented of. That God excuses His own sin. It would be teaching children lies about the character of God. But if they watch dad and mom grieve over their sins, repent of them, and ask God for forgiveness, they will learn the character of God. And they will learn their own need to confess their own sins before the throne of God. This then is, is the duty of parents to raise their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, both by word and by example. Uh, they've been given this honorable task of, of carrying this designated authority from God to their children that God has given to them. And the same, as, as our catechism also makes clear, extends to all bearers of authority. The husband has uh, a measure of authority over his wife. The elders have authority over the church. Uh, kings, presidents, prime ministers have authority over their nation. And there too, the task is to, to reign in justice such that people come to know the character of God. To bear the, the kind of authority that God bears to us, uh, to, to, to reflect God's own wisdom and goodness. Uh, used as God intended it, then, authority is, even between people, 
Authority is a beautiful reality, part of God's good creation. Uh, Proverbs 16 says, A throne established by righteousness, uh, excuse me, a throne is established by righteousness, and in the light of a king's face there is life. His favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. That's good authority when exercised rightly. So there is that duty to those who are in authority. There's also a duty to those who are under authority. If kings to their subjects and and elders to the church and parents to their children are image bearers of God and trusted with His authority, then how are we as, as subjects of the king, as members of the flock, or as children of our parents to be receiving that authority. That's the flip side of, of the question. And, and the, the catechism's answer is, is so beautiful, isn't it? I, I am to show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me to submit myself with due obedience to their, their good instruction and discipline and also to have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Now, this is easiest and simplest to understand in the case of, of children. In many ways, uh, your, as a child, your relationship to your parents will be training grounds for your relationship with God. Children have to learn to trust that, that mommy and daddy know what's best, and, and, and that mommy and daddy love them and, and want what is best for them. And, and children, this is why there's a promise attached to this commandment, uh, when we trust that mom and dad know what's best and, and submit to them even when we don't understand, uh, it's for our good. And in that way, it's training for our relationship with God. We will have times in life when we must trust God and do what He commands even when we don't feel that it's best for us. Uh, God knows best and God wants the best for us. He wants us to have what is better than anything else, to know Him again, to love Him, and to live with Him. It's the best thing in the world for us. Uh, so when we, when we practice that relationship of submission b- before mom and dad, we learn to, to live that way also before God. Sometimes we don't understand why our, our parents do certain things or, or don't allow us to do other things. And the same is going to be true of God. When we trust and obey, we will eventually understand. Uh, so submitting to mom and dad is, is training grounds. It's, it's practice for our submission to God. Uh, that's why it says in, in verse 1 of, of our text from uh, Ephesians 6 that this is what is right before the Lord. But we might also ask, well, doesn't it happen sometimes that mom and dad don't know what's best for us? You know, that can, that can happen sometimes. Or, or uh, in the relationship between a husband and wife, it sometimes happens that the husband does not know what is best, in case you husbands weren't aware of that. What then? Or if the elders don't know what's best? Or if the government doesn't know what's best? What then? Well, Ephesians 5, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Your husband is not the Lord, but you submit to him as to 
the Lord. 1 Peter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend what is right. Now, Peter was not naive. He recognized Caesar and much of the rest of the Roman government did not know what's best. And yet he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to them. So, according to Scripture, the the honor, love, and faithfulness that we are to show to those in authority uh, is not dependent on whether those authorities know what is best for us. But instead, it is done for the Lord's sake. This is why the Catechism also teaches us in in the last line of the Lord's Day, uh, it is God's will to govern us by their hand. You can imagine how the early Christians would have had to remind themselves of that as they were being dragged before the lions to be killed. We are submitting ourselves, not because these emperors know what's best, but because God has placed them over us and we will honor and love Him. so, so willing submission is not always based, is never based on superior wisdom. It's an expression of submission and trust in God. Sometimes it happens that children might know better than their parents. I'm sure it doesn't happen as often as you see in all the movies, uh, but it does happen. And yet, as long as God's law is not broken, children, you can show your love and your trust in God by the way that you love and trust and honor your parents. Uh, Remember how the Lord Jesus' parents were angry with Him after they found Him in the temple, after several days of looking for Him, and and they they gave Him a talking to. And and the Lord Jesus explained to them uh, that, that you should have known that I was supposed to be in my Father's house. And yet it tells us, the text tells us, they did not understand what He was saying. But then what does it say he did? It says in, verse, in Luke 2, verse 51, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. The Lord Jesus submitting to sinful parents for the Lord's sake. When we submit to our parents, even when they don't deserve it, we are showing God that we love and honor Him. In the, in the military, sometimes you'll hear the expression, uh, salute the uniform." Salute the uniform. And what it means is that sometimes you get these these nasty, cowardly, selfish men in leadership. It happens. Uh, And and then there's nothing that a soldier who's under them, uh, there's nothing that he can do about it. And and an honorable soldier is going to have trouble submitting to that sort of officer. So the fellow soldiers will tell him, salute the uniform. In other words, show honor and respect for the position, even if you cannot, uh, even if the person inside that uniform does not deserve that honor. Uh, a true soldier is then showing honor and respect for the chain of command, if not for the individual who stands within it. Uh, so it is always with the chain of command that God has put in place above us. We show honor and respect for it because we know it's a system that is put there by God. Now I recognize this can be very hard for for some of us to hear who have had bad fathers and mothers. Some of us have had absent 
fathers who never once showed up in their lives or never once showed that they cared. Uh, some of us have even had abusive fathers. And, and when we're called to submit to our parents, that in no way means that we should tolerate or accept abuse. Uh, our parents, too, are part of God's chain of command. And, and there are higher authorities above them that we can and should go to, both for their sake and for ours. Uh, there are the elders of the church. There are police officers that are given authority above them. So this commandment is, is not at all given that we would, uh, so, so that we would be, just be quiet and endure abuse. It is wrong, it is immoral, and it ought to be brought before the chain of command that God has put above our parents. And yet we are still called to honor our father and mother because they bear that noble name of father and and mother, a name that God, at least the name Father, that God gives Himself. And for those of us who have had unloving or even abusive fathers and mothers or absent fathers and mothers, we can take immense comfort in the knowledge that in God, through Christ, we do have a Father who does love us, who is perfect, who loves us far more than even the best earthly father could. That was what the Lord Jesus taught us in Matthew uh, 6 and 7. Uh, We have a much better heavenly father. And for those of us who don't have a father or mother, we have a heavenly father. And, And so we can honor our earthly fathers and mothers for the sake of our heavenly father. He is a good father, a perfect father, and a father who promises he will never leave or forsake us, and who, because of Christ, will never stop loving us. There's one more thing I'd like to say before we, we close, and it has to do with how we honor our parents also in their old age. Uh, you, you all probably recognize that the, the value of parenting in our culture is, is, is at an all-time low. Uh, if you talk to... Uh, if you talk to nurses and, and to, to personal support workers, they'll tell you the ugliest and saddest part of Canadian culture has to be how we treat our parents when they reach our old age. This is a culture-wide phenomenon. Our, our Canadian culture has become so self-centered, and, and so many Canadians have, have become so invested in their own personal careers and ambitions and vacations and, and all that comes with that, uh, that they, they end up having no time at all for their parents who have grown old. And as a result, hospitals and nursing homes, old age homes become dumping grounds for the elderly. And grandparents and great-grandparents are often left there to die without ever hearing again from their children. Uh, and, and in no way are Christians an exception to this pattern. You visit a Christian old age home and you'll hear the same story. You know, we talk a lot about euthanasia as our, as our government pushes itself in, in that direction. But euthanasia is only the, the extreme manifestation of this problem. It's the logical outworking of the same trend. The point is this. Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, that if someone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, and there in the context he's referring specifically to uh, his parents, uh, then he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
And that's the testimony that people see when they visit a, an old age home where, where children who call themselves Christians never visit their parents. Uh, they, they see a testimony, a, a testimony of life that denies the testimony, the profession of faith. Now, our catechism teaches us that we are to show all honor, love, and faithfulness uh, to our father and mother. How do we do that then in their old age? Obviously, it's not in obedience the same way it is when you're a child. When you're no longer under their home, you do not have an obligation to obey, but you do have an obligation to honor now, I'm not saying by this that, that old age homes or nursing homes are, or retirement communities are necessarily a bad thing. Uh, many elderly people uh, need them, and they, they value their, also their privacy and, and independence. Uh, but it cannot ever be a substitute for daily, meaningful relationship with your father and mother. Uh, Many other cultures in the world wouldn't even know what an old age home is. In many other cultures, when parents grow old, the children simply take them into the home or build an ensuite onto their home for their elderly parents. And they, they, they get the joy of living out the last years of their life in the presence of of their families now that doesn't have to be the way we do things it's not that there is only one way but the principle is that we ought to maintain honor and love and relationship with our parents wherever they are and and really this this option of having an ensuite ought to at least be an option that's on the table it is a beautiful and wonderful way to live out one's last years in the presence of 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 their family as as our culture says home is where the heart is and our parents also need a home they need a family in their last years just as much as as anyone else does uh, if an old age home or a nursing home is the only feasible, practical uh, answer to the, to the physical needs of our parents, we still need to recognize that it, it does not make the need for meaningful relationship optional. Uh, that remains our responsibility. Uh, and, and it means then it will make that, that relationship a lot harder if they're not present in the home we will have to make the extra effort to reach out to them in in the nursing home or old age home where they are. Let us not be a church that contributes to this cultural trend that that is both secular and, and Christian, this trend of parents who are abandoned and rarely called or visited. I recognize it's true that sadly, oftentimes, uh, what happens is, is children who abandon their parents in hospitals or old age homes and, and never call or visit, oftentimes they're only doing to their parents what their parents did to them when they were children. Uh, that lesson was instilled in them from childhood that, that family is to be sacrificed on the altar of careers and money and ambitions. Uh, too often these children themselves were ignored for their entire childhood or left in daycares and their parents were absent, so they're only doing... Uh, What's, uh, what their parents did for them. But if, even if that is the case, if we believe that our parents are God's representatives to us, then even if they've failed miserably, should we not show them the honor, love, and faithfulness that we owe to God simply because of the honorable uniform that they wear? 
And if we recognize all the more as Christians that we ourselves are sinners, we ourselves daily fail and need God's grace, then shouldn't we also desire that our our parents see and know God's goodness and mercy by the way that we show it to them? In conclusion, let's always remember then, as parents and as children, with all of our failures and selfishness, that we can always come before the throne of God's grace. All of us have failed. All of us, judged by the word of God, have failed terribly. And yet, that is not the end of our story. Because of Christ's obedience, we who trust Him are welcomed into the Father's presence as His beloved children and family and as brothers and sisters to Christ in spite of all of our failures. He who does the will of my Father, the Lord Jesus said, and that will is first of all to believe in the one whom whom God has sent. He, Jesus says, is my brother and sister and mother. And so as members of, of His heavenly family, let us also now here on earth show the honor and love and faithfulness that's due to Him. Let's show it to one another. Amen. Let's respond by singing from Psalm 27, stanzas 5 and 6.